Our text this morning is in Jeremiah 31 and verses 35 to 37. And the eternal faithfulness of God is a very glorious theme. And as I was uh, sitting there, Heathrow, on Friday afternoon, looking over these verses, uh, certain things struck me that I wanted to share with you this morning. And certainly as we approach this time of Christmas and the coming of the Savior, the faithfulness of God in salvation is a very wonderful thing to dwell upon. The faithfulness of God in his purpose to save sinners, it should be a cause of, of great rejoicing for us as believers. But this morning, I want us to consider this aspect of this characteristic of the Lord. And to do that, we're here in Jeremiah 31. Now, just to give you some background, Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet. And one of the reasons for this is he had to preach many challenging and many searching messages to the people of God in his generation. Now, if you were to look at the, the book of Jeremiah as a whole, it seems difficult to see a, a clear pattern. But it might help you to see that the first 29 chapters are mainly full of great woe and lamentation and denunciations of judgment upon the people of that time. But then in chapters 30 and 31, there is a, a change of tone and of mood entirely. And the question is, why? Why is there this change? Well, Jeremiah had to call out the sins of the people who were living at that time, and they were guilty of idolatry, of turning away from the Lord. They were living for all the vain pleasures of the world. And really, it was a day of very serious backsliding of apostasy. And whatever Jeremiah told the people to do in the name of the Lord, they would do the exact opposite. Even when they asked for his advice, they would then refuse to do that which he counseled them to do. And so from these earlier chapters to chapter 29, Jeremiah calls out sin. And they're not easy chapters. They're full of judgment. They're full of despair. But friends, I want to say something to you about chapters like that. Though we might be tempted to skip those parts of Scripture, we mustn't do that because we need them. We need them because they bring warnings to us and they bring applications to us even today. We mustn't avoid the hard passages of Scripture. As one preacher states, we must eat the bitter as much as the sweet. And so you have these great judgments which come, and in Jeremiah 29, the judgments are taking effect. The Babylonians had come, the city had been destroyed, and much of the Jewish people had been taken into captivity which would last for 70 years. That was their divinely appointed judgment. But in this passage, those things had happened. The people are in Babylon, and now there is a great change in emphasis, and Jeremiah begins to speak with great comfort to the people. He soothes the people. He no longer speaks of the terrible judgments, but the future blessing and the future purpose that God has promised. And he says that God will bless them and multiply them. And most importantly of all, he will make a new covenant with his people. And so the Lord speaks in this way because amongst those suffering the judgments of God were true believers. Those who were grieved over the wickedness of the time and had not embraced sin unlike the others. But even still, they suffered amongst the rest of the people who were guilty. But there is great comfort for the remnant. 
And that is where the words of comfort and assurance are directed. And their application is so powerful for us today. So the question is, what can we learn from these words? What is the the great message for us this morning? Well, there are so many things that Jeremiah in the name of God brings here, but I just want to focus on one. God will never forsake his true people. That's it. God will never forsake his true people. There may be times when he has to chastise them. There may be times when they grieve him, but he will never cast them off. He will never reject them or turn his back upon them. And we see that very clearly in verses 35 to 37. Just look at the verses again. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, the Lord is talking in terms of the great and awesome mysteries of the universe. It's as though God was saying, supposing any of you could put the sun out so that it could be darkened. Supposing any of you could destroy the moon and the stars and stop them from shining day and night. Or supposing any of you could measure the expanse of heaven or search out the deep secrets under the earth. If you could do all of that then perhaps I might cast off my people. And so it's extremely strong and moving language. It's interesting, for all the advances of our day, there are still great mysteries in the universe all around us. It's true in Jeremiah's day, and it's true today. There are still many unanswered questions about the sun and the moon and the stars and the the great expanse, the profundity of the depths of the earth. And God says, if you can know everything about those great things of creation, then maybe he might cast off his people. But man would never get to that. And so it's a strong affirmation of his everlasting love for his people. As one preacher explains, the point is the true people of God will never cease. God has set his love upon them. And his purpose towards them will not be thwarted. He will never cease to be their God. He will never stop loving them and caring for them and working for them. And beloved, that's wonderful news for all those who have been brought to love God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I cannot overemphasize to you this morning the greatness of the grace of God, that free and sovereign grace. You know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, but everybody who claims to be a Christian, not everybody believes that. Not everybody believes that God cares for and preserves his people to that extent. There are some who have the idea that God can convert you one day and then just allow you to drift off into unbelief the next. There are people who believe that's not what the Bible says, but they have that idea. I was listening to a preacher who said that he had a conversation with Uh, quite a well-known church leader in the the evangelical church, who said this, well, we believe that you can be saved on Monday, lost on Tuesday, restored on Wednesday, backslidden on Thursday, and so on, but it depends upon what you do. 
Well, that's a terrible thing. And thank God that that is not what the Bible teaches. God will never cast off his people. And if you are a true Christian this morning, if you truly have Christ as your Savior, then God will never cast you away. Do you know, there are times in this sin-sick, broken world when relationships break down. One side casts away the other, often unjustly, and that relationship is over. But God never acts like that. He loves his own to the end. His people shall go on and on through history. And that is such good news for us this morning if we know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the message of the scripture emphasizes again and again and again, God has his people and he will never cast them away. You know, let me give you some examples. Daniel, the book of Daniel. There's some incredible prophecies and pictures in Daniel. And one of the great insights is that you have these various kingdoms which rise and fall. Some of you will be familiar with Daniel 2. Nebuchadnezzar, he has a vision, he has a, a dream. And in it there is this great colossus of a statue which appears in his dream. And he sees this, this great head of gold and then there are arms and shoulders of silver and then there's a, a midriff of brass and then iron legs and heels and clay feet. And Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream and vision. He's got no idea what it means. But Daniel, God's man, inspired of God, is able to interpret the vision for him. And Daniel says, this, O king, is the meaning. You are that head of gold, the Babylonian empire at the time. But you will be superseded by another kingdom. Another kingdom will come after them, like silver, another like brass, another like iron, and another. So kingdoms will come, and kingdoms will go. Now, friend, for us, in our particular place in history, we can look back and we can see that so clearly. The first kingdom, the Babylonian Empire in the Old Testament, they rose to amazing power, but they declined when the Medo-Persians came and conquered under the likes of Cyrus and Darius. And they became mighty and they conquered great empires, but then they declined too. And then you had the, the rise of Alexander the Great, a mighty and brutal ruler of the Greeks who extended his empire across the eastern world and slightly into the west, and he rose to great prominence, but then died away. And then another empire came up, the Romans, described as an iron heel under the likes of Julius Caesar and Pompey the Great and Augustus and other great names like that, conquerors of Europe and much of Britain, oversaw an empire which covered vast swathes of the known world. But their time came to an end as well. And in 10 AD, Rome was conquered and collapsed. And eventually, Daniel says that there'll be a stone cut out of the mountain, not by any human hand, which will smite this colossus in the feet and destroy it. And it'll be swept away like, like chaff from the summer threshing floor, and this kingdom, the size of a man's hand, will grow and grow until it fills up the whole earth. You say, well, what's Daniel talking about? What is that little kingdom? It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. From such small beginnings, this kingdom will extend across the world. And the, the whole gospel narrative is like that. You think of the manger. You know, they're in the midst of that stable, people wandering around in the animals in the yard, and a baby is born in an obscure place in a, a little town in two insignificant districts of the Roman Empire, Judea and Galilee. The arrival of Jesus into the world 
and apart from a few are given to see who knew. And yet in that manger lay that little baby who was the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the eternal one who would establish his eternal kingdom. And from those small beginnings, as it were, comes great victory and glory and the full realization. And you know, it's grown and grown and the church today is all over the world. And as we worship God here, there are believers worshiping God in their language all over the earth. The praises of God never cease. Millions and millions have come to Christ. And so it will go on to pervade the entire globe and people from every language and tribe and nation will come to Christ and that is how it will be until the end and the great consummation. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God will look after his kingdom, his cause, his people. Kingdoms come and go, nations rise and fall, but God's cause will never fall nor will it perish. There will always be his people in the world and God will bless it. Oh, you think of Revelation. All the pictures of terrible, demonic, hellish, evil powers and they're represented by symbols, beasts coming up out of the earth and sea. Appalling to behold. Ferocious and merciless and tyrannical. And these beasts, they're all set up to devour the church. And they persecute and kill while many of the true people of God are martyred and put to death. And then they're joined by other wicked powers. And not only the beast, but also the false prophet, the harlot, who seduces all these great evils. And they are against the people of God, trying to bring them down, trying to destroy them. And behind them all, we see the great enemy, Satan. And they're doing his work, trying to destroy the kingdom of God. But at the end, what do we see? Do we see the church annihilated and destroyed and completely corrupted? Oh, no. We see the church is married to Jesus Christ. Pure, spotless, more than conquerors through him who loved us. The book of Revelation makes it clear that not one of God's children is lost. You know, doesn't that lift your heart? In Christ, the outcome is never in doubt. The victory is secure. And though it seems so fragile and unsure at times, he will come again. His everlasting dominion and kingdom will be realized in glorious fullness. You know, maybe we look at the state of things right now and, you know, we are concerned. Can't see any advance. How could God ever work in this situation? How can he work with us? How could he work in this town, in this county, in this land? But in the midst of all these obstacles, you say, well, can there ever be advance for the gospel? You know, it's impossible for us, yes. But for him, no. And unlike other earthly battles, in the battle the people of God have against Satan and the powers of darkness and hell, ultimately all the people of God are saved. Not one will be lost. Every one of those who truly has Christ as his Savior will be standing at the end. There's a great verse, a lovely verse in Exodus 10. And it's dealing with the, you know, the departure of the children of Israel from Egypt. And it just is this phrase which struck me. Not a hoof shall be left behind. Not a hoof shall be left behind. All will be delivered. Because God is their God and they are his people. 
And so it is, dear friends, for the church of Jesus Christ. And friends, this is what Jeremiah is telling the Lord's true people at that time as they watch the long lines of exiles leaving home to go into Babylon, most of them never to return, as they wept to see the temple destroyed and the cause so low and their enemies apparently victorious, Jeremiah lifts up his voice and he says, I tell you in the name of God that he will never be against his own true people. And it's the same today. God will never cast off his people whom he has foreknown. To put it in the words of Paul in Romans 11 that we read, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God never changes his mind about people. He cannot deny himself. He has chosen that people. He has chosen them forever. When he has saved a people, he has saved them forever. Let me give you a lovely verse in Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, verses 9 to 10. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions and said to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, one of the challenges that we face if we're Christians, it is so easy to slip into thinking that our significance rests on what we do or, you know, what we have been or where we're heading in this life. But all of that is irrelevant when realizing that our lasting significance is grounded only in our relationship with God. And it's bound in those words that I just read, I have chosen you and I have not cast you away. The problem is that so often as the people of God, we don't think of ourselves in that way. And we come up with many reasons why God would cast us off or would turn away from us. For example, we're quick to think of all the evil that we've done against him. Think of verse Uh, 37, which speaks of the sin of those who profess to be his people in Jeremiah 31. We can understand that. You know, which one among us has not done many wrong things against God? You know you have. You know I have. I know I have. I've not lived one single day of my life where I have not done many things wrong against God, either in action or word or thought. Every day we live, we sin against God. And even though if we're believers, we love him and we desire to please him, yet we are frail, we are foolish, we are unwise. And so on that basis, we, you know, have we not given God grounds to reject us? If God's covenant with us and acceptance of us is based upon our daily performance, then none of us would remain in a relationship with him for any time at all. But the wonder of his covenant with us is that it is founded upon his choice. He has chosen us. He has called us from the farthest corners of the world, as it were, and he will not cast us off. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the Savior who gave himself and who has wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us, taken our sin and nailed it to the cross. And so all our sin is charged to the account of our mighty surety. All of our sin is laid upon him as our substitute. He bore them away. 
We are washed. We are cleansed. They are cast behind his back, as it were, so we can look up, we can rejoice, because he has paid our ransom. We are redeemed now and forever, and so we don't need to fear. You know, before we can obey and experience God's grace, we have to understand it. Grace is the antidote to all fear and anxiety. We'll never be able to overcome worry simply by repeating some self-help mantra or We'll never gain victory over fear by exhortations of others to obey what the Scripture calls for. You know, those things just lead to discouragement and doubt, sometimes despair. When dreadful thoughts arise, you know, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm overwhelmed, I, I don't know what to do, or, I, or I'm weak and insignificant, I don't know how to go on. We have to remind ourselves of God's grace, which says to us, I called you. I chose you, I love you, I've saved you by sending my own son. I have not rejected you, nor will I ever reject you. Only the grace of God can help us to overcome our fears and give us this confidence. His promises put all else in perspective and teach us to fix our minds on the hope of eternity and live in light of its reality. Do you know, if you're here this morning, maybe you've got those things in front of you, those rivers, as it were, that you think you, you won't be able to cross or mountains that you won't be able to get it through and over. Maybe you're afraid of some new situation that's arisen. Maybe you're just facing continual difficulties day by day. Remember that God's truth does not change. His purposes do not change. His son does not change. The unchanging God is the one who is with you and he is for you. I have chosen you. I have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. And so when you begin to accuse yourself or when the enemy seeks to bring all those things and say, well, you've done this and you've done this and you've done this, you go back to the sovereign purpose and promise of God and its reality in the Lord Jesus Christ. Another reason we can fear God will cast us away is when we look at other Christians or even other churches and we think, well, they're so much better than we are. You know, why doesn't God simply cast us off and choose more people like that? They're, they're so good. They seem to be so brilliant and clever and they're beautiful people and intelligent and capable and efficient. And we look at ourselves and you know, we just feel as though we make a mess of things. And we can't see why God would carry on with people like us. But God says, I'll never do that. As the ordinances of heaven and earth are perpetual until the end of time, so my faithfulness to my people is perpetual to all ages. I will never cast you away. And so when you feel that at times, you go back to his character, his faithfulness. The true believer may say that he is very, very poor and worthless, but the Lord will never cast him off. No matter how much you think of yourself as being worthless, sometimes we can feel like that. He will never cast us away. Because God, my friends, will never abandon his people. God could never abandon his children. Isaiah 49, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? 
Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. This is a reassurance. He will never cast off those who are his. And your Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. When God begins a work, he always completes it. In other words, you didn't start it. You know, if you're a believer this morning, you didn't start that work in you. God started it. You know, and just as you didn't start it, you're not going to finish it. He will. You know, if you feel that you can't keep going, you're right. But God did, and he can, and he will. And God has a long-term plan for his people that each of us will see and share in the glory of his Son. That's the end to which he is working. And we know that this life can bring many disappointments. And as believers, as we've said, we we continue to stumble and we, we struggle with doubts at times. And life's circumstances just seem to make it hard to keep going. But we can and we will continue on the journey because Scripture promises that our God began that work in us and he will finish it. And as we stumble along the way and as we face those difficulties at times when we're tempted to turn back, the Lord upholds us and his word says to us, keep going. Just step by step. Don't be concerned about all of your tomorrows. God himself is helping you. So keep walking the way today. God finishes what he starts. And if you're trusting Christ, He has started something eternal in you. And when you feel overwhelmed at all that's going on or what is opening up in front of you, when the route today looks too steep or too hard, you remember that God is faithful. And what he has started, he will finish. Friend, as we draw all these things together, our assurance of being protected by God rests on a good foundation. Why? Because God is the God he is. We have a glorious God. The God of the Bible is faithful and solid and reliable and true and unwavering in his attachment to those who are attached to him by grace. God doesn't build only to abandon the building. There are no follies with him. What's a folly? Well, it's a building that someone began and they couldn't finish. You know, on the road out to Helston, there's that tragedy, as you well, depending on which side of you're coming or going, You see those houses that people have started to build and they've just been abandoned because they can't finish. It's a tragedy. But you know, God never built a folly. Not in all history did he begin to build something that he didn't intend to finish. And he will bring forth the headstone of the church with shoutings of grace to him. His work will be complete and all the stones will be in the temple at last. The roof will be on. Everything will be perfect. All his children will be secure. God loves his people with an everlasting love. They are his jewels. Malachi 3. One preacher tells a story from ancient Rome. There were two brothers and uh, they would become very famous in their day and generation. But when they were very little, a very rich lady came to visit their home and visit their mother. And when they were little boys, this rich lady came and she was there and she was showing off all her jewels to the mother. She had such a collection of 
expensive pearls and diamonds and all manner of things from all over the Roman Empire, and she was draped in all these jewels and took great pleasure in flaunting her wealth. And eventually she turned to the mother and said, well, come on then, where are your jewels? Show me your riches. Well, the mother called for her two little boys and said, these are my jewels. And you know, the rich lady, she was quite taken aback. Well, that's the way the Lord is. He sustains the universe. He lights up the sun and the stars. But they are only there as lights to help his people. His people are his jewels. And he will preserve them in, in the end of history. All his jewels will be in his crown. Malachi 3.17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels. He will not cast off his people. He will not cast them off in living in dying, in death, after death, or at the final day, he will never forsake his own. And you know, if that's the case, if we're believers, if we have been brought to know this glorious God, if he is ours, then we have every reason today to be of good hope. You know, we don't need to fear the future, and our strength is in the grace of God. And, you know, we should speak out boldly for this God, we to, to be his witnesses, because God is with us, just as he was with Jeremiah and his people in that day. And so tell the world that he's yours, this glorious God. You know, we've lived to see terrible changes for the worse in this country and for the worse in the church in this country. And yet God is with his people still. And we are to believe it and to take cheer and comfort from it. And if these things are so, ought not all of us to be professing this God? Is there a God anywhere like our God? Faithful and true and loving and kind and good. And friend, I would say to you this morning, if you have never called out to that God, if you have never embraced him, why would you delay any longer? You know, realize that you, you can't save yourself. Realize that you're a sinner. Realize that you are in a mess without him. And look to him. Because all of these great blessings are found in Jesus Christ. And you know, the one who comes to him, what does he say? He will in no wise cast out. Sound familiar? The eternal faithfulness of our God. Our life is brief. Our time in this life will soon be over and done but those who have the Lord as their good will enjoy life which the Bible says is life everlasting. And the gospel tells us that Jesus died in the place of sinners, that he was raised for our justification, and one day he is coming again. And for all who trust him, we have all we need and we cannot lose it. All the riches and comfort that this world can offer do not compare to what we have in the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's all a gift of God's amazing grace and outworking of his eternal faithfulness. So that's the simple message this morning. God is faithful. He'll never forsake his people. And you can be encouraged in that today if you're in Christ. Amen.